those at our Mill Creek campus, good morning to you. Those here at our Sugarloaf campus, those who are watching by TV, I'm so glad that you joined us today. Um, <clears throat> let's get honest. Because if we're all honest, deep down, we all have a phobia. If I talked to everybody in here long enough and you were really honest, we all have a fear. I mean, this real deep, abounding fear about something. Maybe it's snakes. Uh, maybe it's public speaking. Maybe it's heights. Maybe it's being in a crowded space. Maybe it's a long sermon. But we all have phobias. Now, I'm being serious. You're gonna, this is going to be funny, but I'm not joking you. I'm going to share with you today my absolute biggest phobia. And I do have a phobia. I mean, I really do have a fear. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's a technical term for it. I didn't even know it until I did some research. But let me tell you what my fear is. It is clitoris menophobia. Anybody know what that is? I didn't think so. I didn't either. But it is clitoris menophobia. Now, I'd never heard of it, but I have it. And I've had it ever since I started driving a car. I have a phobia. It is the fear of flat tires. That, that's my phobia. Now, about two years ago, my worst fear came true in a big neighborhood right down the road, far, not far from here. I'd gone out there to play golf with a friend, and I was driving out of the subdivision, and I began to hear that telltale sign, thump, 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 thump. And I pull into a driveway of this million-dollar house, and my biggest fear had come true. I had a flat tire. Now, someone has said there's no panic in heaven, just plans. Well, when it comes to flat tires, I'm just the opposite. No plans, just panic. So what did I do? Well, I do what I've done for 40 plus years. I called Teresa. <laughs> I'm not making any of this up. This is absolutely true. I called her. I said, I've got a flat tire. I said, uh, what do I do? She said, well, jack up the car and change the tire. I said, how do I jack it up? She said, with a jack. Now, okay, I, I, you know, I admit that should have been obvious, but you got to understand, at this point, I'm already jacked up. So I say to her, well, where's the jack? She says, it's in your trunk. I said, well, how do you use it? She said, read the manual. So here it is, it's a brutally hot summer day. I'm sitting in front of this stranger's house with a flat tire and I'm reading a manual on how to use a jack. Now I'm sweating bullets, not just because it was hot and it was brutally hot. The reason I was sweating bullets was because of the fear that I had of looking like an idiot by all the people driving by watching me read this manual. Now it took me a half an hour, are you ready for this? To find the jack. Now I'm not, I'm not kidding. This jack was in a hidden compartment under the carpet in the bottom of the trunk. It was that kind of, car, of compartment that you'd use to, to smuggle secret documents across the border. And I'm thinking to myself, why would you put a jack in there? So it takes me a half an hour to find the jack. It take me, took me 15 minutes to get the jack out of the trunk. Then it took me another 20 minutes to read how to operate the jack by reading the manual. Now, about this time, I'm about ready to cry. I'm, I really am. And so I, I thought about, you know, here you are, a pastor, you're a man of God. Why don't you pray about it? I'm not making this up. I looked up into the sky and I said, Lord, do you have a word for me in my predicament? And all I heard was one word, triple A. 
That's all I heard. Now, here's the problem. I'm not a AAA member. But one of the best benefits of being one is a 24-hour roadside assistance. And that's what I needed. I needed some roadside assistance. Now, the story didn't have a good ending. Thankfully, I called a buddy of mine from the church. He came out and he helped me change my tire. Well, actually, he didn't help me. I helped him by watching him change my tire. But, but, but the point is, I was reminded again of a very great lesson. And that is, serving other people is indispensable to life. It really is. We need to be served and we need to serve. Now, we're in a series that we've been calling Refuel. And as we started a brand new year, I realized when we come to the end of that holiday season and we have spent money that we didn't have to buy gifts that people didn't need, and then we face a Herculean task of taking down all the decorations, not to mention the trash and the trees and the lights, and then you return all the gifts that you didn't really want to begin with. I did one yesterday. You need refueling. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that I already know the answer to. Do you ever run out of gas? I don't mean in your car necessarily, but do you ever feel like physically, emotionally, and spiritually, you're just absolutely out of gas? I discovered an interesting trend. You'll like this. I found this out the other day. It's going on right now in the United Kingdom. Here's, here, this is an article in the, day, in, in the newspaper. People are running out of gas in record numbers. Nearly a million motorists a year run out of gas and break down on the side of the road. And that number has risen every year since 2011. Drivers are running out of gas, but they're not learning their lesson. Why? According to a recent study, it's due to stupidity. Now, now seriously, most motorists say they just decide to ignore the warning light. All the signs are there. The car's fuel gauge falls toward the E. The warning light illuminates. The bells and whistles ring exactly as they ought to, but the drivers just keep on driving until the vehicle sputters to a stop. Now, here's something that will not surprise you ladies who are listening to me right now. Most of the drivers who ignore the light are stubborn men, not women, men. Now, my question is, does your engine ever quit running? Do you ever feel like that you're just absolutely out of gas? Your battery just died. As you drive down the highway of life, do you ever feel like you're just broken down on the side of the road? Some of you may say, man, that's how I've been feeling for a long time. I know what you need. It's what I needed. We need roadside assistance. Now, we've been talking about the things that we can do on a daily basis to recharge our batteries and to refuel our tank. And if you missed this series, let me just give you a quick summary. We began by saying that the first thing we need to do every day to refuel is to read God's Word. There's nothing that will re-energize you and reinvigorate you and recharge you like reading God's Word. I told you since I was a kid, my mom taught me, and that's the way I begin every day of my life. Really, I begin every day by reading God's Word. Then we said the second thing you need to do to refuel on a daily basis is just spend time with God. I'm not worried right now how much time. It may be 5, 10, 15 minutes, whatever. But we said you need to spend time not just reading God's Word, but talking to God and listening to God. Then last week we said the third thing you need to do to refuel is you need to get into a small group. Everybody needs to be in a small group. You can't Lone Ranger your way through life. You need to be encouraged and you do need to be an encourager and you do that best 
in a small group. Now today, we're going to talk about the last ingredient of the gasoline that you need that can always refuel you when your tank is empty. And it's real simple. After you read God's word, and after you spend time with God, and once you get into a community in a small group, the last thing you need to be doing is serving other people. If you bought a copy of God's Word or you want to look on whatever you use, an iPad or a phone, we're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Let me help you. There's two parts to the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Skip the old. We're in the new. Four Gospels begin the new, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in Mark, chapter 9. Let me tell you what's going on. There was an incident that took place between Jesus and the disciples as they were walking down the road, and it gave him the opportunity to teach one of the greatest lessons and one of the greatest things you'll ever learn on not only how to get moving again, but it's actually the key to being great in the eyes of God. Now, before I get into the message, let me kind of set this up. I wanna just kind of warn you and remind you that the way we tend to measure greatness and the way that God tends to measure greatness is totally and completely different. Because when we measure greatness, when we measure whether or not somebody is a great person, a great man or a great woman, we tend to use kind of two barometers to whether or not we really believe that. We measure by accumulation and we measure by accomplishments, okay? We measure by accumulation and we measure by accomplishments. So in other words, if someone has a lot, they, 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 they live in a big house. They drive a beautiful car. They wear the finest clothes. And it's obvious they've got money to burn. We say they, they must be a great person. Or if, if, if they accomplish a lot, if they win the prizes and they climb the ladder and they win the trophies and they win the awards, we say, well, evidently, they must be a great person. And what you're going to see today is this. There is a difference between having great things and doing great things and being a great person. In the eyes of God, you may have a lot, and in the eyes of God, you may accomplish a lot, but you may not still be a great person. Because what you're going to learn today is that the truly great people in the eyes of God are not the people who've, who, who have, uh, have a lot of possessions, or they've achieved a high position. God says, the people that get my attention, the people I think are great, the people that are at the top of my list, they're people that have a servant spirit because nothing refuels and nothing recharges your battery like serving other people. Now, we're in Mark chapter nine, and I wanna share with you three very brief things we're gonna learn from this story this morning, all right? Number one, we should have a willful ambition for service. We should have a willful ambition for service. There ought to be a fire and a desire in your heart to serve other people. Now, Jesus and his disciples, they've been out ministering. They've been out preaching the word. They've been out teaching. They've been out healing. They've been out serving others. And they're on their way back to Capernaum, all right? So we pick up this story in verse 33. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, now this is kind of funny, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. 
Now, there's a little humor here because evidently they'd been walking down the road and maybe Jesus was kind of a little bit out in front of them and they didn't think he was listening. And so they got involved in a very heated argument. By the way, the word for argument there gives us the English word dialogue. But it doesn't just mean to dialogue or kind of discuss. It refers to having a very heated, passionate debate and a very hot Disagreement. Now, the reason why this is kind of funny is because they obviously thought, obviously thought Jesus wasn't listening, Jesus wasn't paying attention, and they kind of thought they'd gotten away with it. And, and, but, but let me just give you a little side note on something, okay? Jesus always sees, and Jesus always hears. You can whisper. He hears every syllable. You can turn out all the lights. He sees every action. He always sees and he always hears. So they're having this fierce argument. I mean, I'm talking about raised voices, veins popping out, eyes wide, spit flying. And what were they arguing about? Who was the greatest? I can hear it now. Peter said, oh, I'm the greatest. And John said, no, 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 I'm the greatest. And James said, no, 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 I'm the greatest. And Nathaniel said, no, no, no. I'm the greatest. And they were giving all these reasons why they were the greatest. And so Jesus is going to teach them true greatness. Now, before I tell you what Jesus said and why he said it, I want you to keep one thing in mind. Jesus never says to them, and he never says to us, you should not seek to be great. I don't want you to get that impression, all right? It is great to want to be great. I want you to say that with me. You ready? It is great to want to be great. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great. Great. When God called me into the ministry, I said, Lord, I want to be the greatest preacher that I can be. If you are a parent, you ought to want to be the greatest parent you can be. If you play sports, you ought to want to be the greatest athlete that you can be. If you're a parent, you should want your children to be the greatest they can be. There is nothing wrong with healthy ambition. And let's just be honest. There's something about us, we just can't help it. We, we want to be at the head of the line. Everybody wants to be first. First in line, first to be chosen, first to be noticed, first to be praised. Listen, every team wants to be the last one standing at the end of every season saying, we're number one. I mean, tell me about it, okay? We all have that desire in our heart. And if you've got a healthy psyche, you, you really want to be the best you can be at something. You want to be great at something. Now, here's the good news. Everybody can be great at the one thing that matters more than anything else. But before Jesus talks about greatness, he has to correct the way the disciples were looking at greatness. So he sits these disciples down and he said, okay, guys, we're gonna have class for just a few minutes. And the subject is greatness 101. Let me just tell you what real greatness really is. Here's what he says. If you're looking for the best seat, if you wanna be first in line, you wanna be great in what you accumulate and you wanna be great in what you achieve, Jesus said that I've got news for you, you'll never be great. Never be great. You will never get there. And what he said next made every disciple's jaw drop all the way to that hard Palestinian ground. Now listen to what he said. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. 
Now, the disciples are probably thinking right now, wait a minute. Did you not hear what we just said? We weren't arguing about who ought to be serving who. We were arguing about who is the greatest. And Jesus said, okay, if your ambition is to really be great and great the right way, then you ought to have an ambition to serve. It's one thing to go from bad to good. It's another thing to go to good from great. And the only road that leads to greatness is the one that is paved with the asphalt of service. We ought to have a willful ambition to serve. There is something wrong with you, A, if you don't want to be great. There's something wrong with you if you don't want to be great the right way. But if you do want to be great the right way, you should have a willful ambition to serve. Now, here's the second thing we need to learn. We should have a thankful approach to service. We should have a willful ambition to serve. I, I want to serve. And then when we get to serve, we should have a thankful approach to service. Now, Jesus said on another occasion, talking about greatness, he said this, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become, what's that word? Great, say it loud. Great, okay. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Now, you talk about a shock to their central nervous system. You talk about turning everything they had thought and believed all of their life upside down. Jesus said to them, you know what? Every day when you get up and you get dressed and you walk out of the door of your house, you will walk out thinking one of two things. How can I get other people to serve me? Are you going to be thinking, how can I serve other people? Mark it down. That's always going to be your default attitude. How can I get other people to serve me? Or how can I serve other people? Now, I want to say it again. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great. If you want to be great the right way, you want to be great God's way. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be first if you understand what first place really is, because listen again to what Jesus said. Jesus sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, if you really want to be first, you've got to be last. And I know that sounds totally contradictory. Wait a minute. I want the first seat. Jesus said, great, take the last one. I, but I want to be in first place. All right, then take last place. But I want to be the first in the spotlight. Jesus said, then be the last behind the curtain. If you want to be first, you want to be last and the servant of all. So you want to be number one, Jesus said? Yeah, I want to be number one. Then Jesus said, okay, here's how to be number one. Look for an opportunity to serve number two. You want to be number one, look for an opportunity to serve number two. Listen, we should be greatly concerned about serving others and totally unconcerned about others serving us. Usually we get it just backwards. Now I want to challenge you. I think you'd agree with this. Our culture, our communities, our cities, our country, our churches would be dramatically transformed today if everyone adopted the attitude that Jesus had who said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now I want you to think about that. There's only one human being that was ever born that deserved to be served. If anybody ever deserved to be served, it was Jesus. And yet, 
The only being who ever lived who deserved to be served by everyone else came to serve everyone else. You know, one of the, I, I always often ask people when I talk to them about their work and their job, I always ask two questions. I'll always say, what do you like the most about your job? And, and what do you like the least? You learn a lot about a person. So what do you like the most? What do you like the least? I don't care how much you love your job. There are parts of, of your job you don't really care for. And there are parts of the job you really love. Hey, pastoring's no different. There are a lot of parts of, of what I do as a pastor I love to do, but there are some things that, I mean, to be honest, are really just frustrating. And, and one of the things that uh, frustrations, every, I've never talked to a pastor who doesn't have this. Pastors often grow so frustrated trying to get people to serve. And they beg and they plead and they still can't find people to serve preschoolers and children and students and singles and seniors and recovering addicts and the recently divorced. And I've often thought, why is it so hard to get people to serve? And, and it's hit me. The reason is our approach to service is totally wrong. Because if what Jesus said is true, and the way to be great is to serve. Now, you have to assume that. If what Jesus said is true, that the way to be great is to serve, then you ought to be thankful for any opportunity you get to serve. And you ought to be looking for opportunities to serve. Because what you're really saying is, Lord, you know why I want to serve? Because I want to be great in your eyes. You know why I want the opportunity to, to give to other people and, and anything I can do for them? Because I want to be great in your eyes. Listen, if your heart is right and if you really understand and believe what Jesus is saying, then you have to agree with this statement. Service is not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. It is not something you have to do. It is something you get to do. I mean, go back and read the four gospels. I challenge you to do this. Jesus had a perfect record. So what do you mean? You ready? Jesus never one time turned down an opportunity to serve anybody who needed to be serving. Not once. He never turned down an opportunity to someone that needed to be served. That's why by far and away, Jesus is the greatest person who ever lived. And the reason why Jesus is the greatest person who ever lived is because he was the greatest servant who ever lived. Yes, he had the crown of a king, but he had the heart of a servant. If you're a young person, you're just kind of getting started in life or you're trying to build a business or you're trying to climb the ladder, hey, let me help you out on something. Everybody wants to be successful. Let me tell you, the secret to success is service. The secret to success is service. Jesus said, this is what we've got to get in our mind. Jesus said, greatness never starts at the top. Greatness always starts at the bottom. And when you're like Jesus, You'll take the least desired position. You'll do the job that nobody else wants to do. You'll find the worst seat in the house. The great poet Henry Longfellow said this. He said, most people would succeed in small things if they were not troubled with great ambition. That's so true. Most people would succeed in small things if they were not troubled with great ambition. You know the one thing that sets Christian leadership apart from worldly leadership? The one thing that sets Christian leadership apart from worldly leadership is the idea of servant leadership. The best leaders aren't served. The best leaders serve. Leonard Bernstein, 
who was the late, the late great New York Symphony Orchestra conductor, they, someone asked him one time, what is the most difficult position of the orchestra? What, what's the hardest part to play? And without hesitation, it was a great answer. He said, oh, by far. He said, the hardest part to play in the orchestra is second fiddle. You know why? You know why playing second violin is, is so much tougher than playing a piccolo or a bassoon or a bass? It's not tougher physically. It's tougher emotionally. Why? Because nobody wants to be second chair violin. Everybody wants to be first chair violin. Jesus comes along and says, wait a minute, time out. Greatness is not first chair violin. It is second chair violin. Greatness has nothing to do with what you accumulate or what you accomplish. It is not found in the power that you hold. It is not found in the possessions that you own. It is not found in the place where you live. It is not found in the position that you take. It is found in the people you serve. Now, if that's true, we ought to not only should have a willful ambition to serve, we ought to have a thankful approach to service. Every time you get a shot to serve somebody, you ought to just simply say, Lord, thank you for another opportunity to be great in your eyes. Now, if what Jesus said is true, and if you believe what Jesus said is true, then it only stands to reason that we should not only have a willful ambition to serve, and we should not only have a thankful approach to service, we should have a joyful attitude in service. We should have a joyful attitude in service. Now, I want to put two, two statements Jesus made again. I want to put them side by side, okay? Sitting down, Jesus said, or Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your Slave. Now, I think we'd all agree because I think I've hammered it home. You probably have heard this till you're sick of it. But Jesus could not have made it any plainer. Jesus could not have made it any simpler. He said, look, you want to go to the front of the line? Yes, Lord, I do. Then get to the back of the line. The world says the way to greatness is become a star. Jesus says, no, the way to greatness is become a servant. The world says, the way to greatness is get your name on the front page of the paper. Jesus says, the great way to greatness is don't even worry if you ever get in the paper. It's not about you. It's about who you serve. That's why in your worship guide today, you'll find this insert. And I hope you'll take it seriously. We've given you tons of suggestions. Just take one on a way that you can serve your neighbors. Let me tell you something. You want to build a relationship? You, you live next door to people and live around people that you kind of find it hard to get to know? Find a way to serve them. Invite them over for a meal. Take them a gift. Take them out to eat. Go and ask them, hey, I, you know, I just like to serve. Is there any way I can serve you? Believe it or not, I mean, it would, you know, if they don't die of a heart attack, you might get an answer. I mean, seriously. And by the way, right here and now, outside of your neighborhood, right here, we need servants. 
We need servants in our next-gen ministries. We need service in preschool. We need service with children. We need service with students. And as you exit the worship center today, you're gonna find a next-gen table at both of our campuses in the lobby where you can stop by, you can get more information, and you can get plugged in, and you can do some of the greatest service you'll ever do by investing your life in the generation that's coming right behind us. And so I just wanna take a moment, and I just wanna thank some of the greatest people I've ever known I want to thank some of the most successful people I have ever met because they're right here in our church. Yes, they often go unnoticed. They often go unappreciated, and for sure, they're unpaid. And yet, we wouldn't be here today without these people. Just today, I want to thank the men and the women out there who park our cars. And, and who greet people. They do it when it's hot. They do it when it's cold. They do it when it's dry. They do it when it's raining. They do it when it's windy. They do it when it's calm. I want to thank the adults and the teenagers who voluntarily work with our preschoolers and our children and tell Bible stories and change dirty diapers. I want to thank the people who serve the homeless downtown and minister the alcoholics and the addicts. I want to thank our security team. You don't even know they're around. We've got an entire security team who is stationed in every part of our facilities every week to make sure that we are in a safe environment. And I want to tell you, they're some of the greatest people I've ever known. They show up week after week after week after week. They don't ask to be thanked. They don't ask for publicity. They don't ask for gifts. They don't ask for notoriety. They don't ask to be recognized. They just want to come and serve us. And when Jesus came to earth, he didn't come as a sovereign. He came as a servant. Nobody has ever served the way Jesus has served. Nobody. He took our sin and he accepted our blame. He took our punishment. He died our death so on a golden platter he could serve us forgiveness and serve us and serve eternal life. I believe even as he died on the cross, he was, all, he was just really saying as loud as he could, see, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So I just want to ask you a question. How can we not have a willful ambition to serve? How can we not have a thankful approach in service? How can we not have a joyful attitude and return that service to him? How can you really say you love Jesus? And you want to be like Jesus. And you want to live for Jesus and not find somebody and some place to serve. Back uh, before Christmas, I was up at our Mill Creek campus and the service was over and I was out in the lobby and I was greeting people and uh, this, this mom came up to me and she said, Pastor, I just want you to know that my little 10-year-old daughter is going to be baptized Christmas Eve. I said, really? She said, yeah, her name it's Carson, and, and I said, well, where is Carson? And she called Carson over. Well, this is the picture. I, I had a picture made with Carson. That's, that's Carson right there. The reason this mother wanted me to meet her daughter is, is not just because she, would be, she was being baptized. That's not why she wanted me to meet her. The reason she wanted me to meet her is because of a note that her daughter had written her about being baptized. And I want to share it with you, and, and as you can see up here, uh, and, and I'll, I'll read it out if you can't really read it. Here's what her note said. I know Jesus died for my sins, and he lives in my heart, and he is my Lord and my Savior. 
And I want to tell others about Jesus and always help others. That's what she wrote. I want to tell others about Jesus and always help others. Let me just tell you something. That girl's destined for greatness. I don't know what God's got in store for her, but if she keeps up that attitude, hey, I just want to tell people about Jesus and I want to help others. That girl's going places. She is going to be eternally successful. You know why? She's already got a heart that says, when somebody's broken down on the side of the road, when somebody's run out of gas, when somebody's engine has died, I want to be the first one there to give roadside assistance. We all need to become like Carson. And when you do, and you answer that call to service, whether it's inside the four walls of this church or outside the four walls of this church. When you answer God's call to serve others, whether you know them or whether you don't, whether they are friends or whether they're complete strangers, whether they know God or whether they don't, when you answer that call to service, here's what you'll find. Your tank will be full, your battery will be charged, and you will enjoy the trip of life down that highway like you have never enjoyed it before. Let's pray together.